Let me introduce Jamie. One or two things. First, we want to dismiss the children this morning to go to Children's Church so that the children would come on down by this door to the piano. And secondly, we're going to have an introduction from this morning's speaker. It's going to come from our own Jamie Bush. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, John. Um, I met Bishop Gilbert Thompson. Well, actually, I met his church about 15 years ago. And the church, long before I met him, uh, began to have an impact on my life in a number of ways. And yesterday, as I was thinking about how I would introduce him, I, I kind of got into that and other things and other things. And my wife came in when I was out of the room and looked at my five-page introduction. And <laughs> when we took a walk, she said, Jamie, are you preaching tomorrow? <laughs> so let me just say very briefly that uh, Gilbert Thompson has just had an extraordinary impact not only on my life but on thousands of lives in and around Boston. And it is such a joy for me that he's here in our church. Uh, he has, I, I think the greatest thing to say about his preaching and teaching is that his church has become an agent of change, an agent of healing in Boston. And that is a direct reflection of what God has done in his life. Uh, he has surrounded himself with men and women who are really are wonderful, godly men and women. And uh, these people are having an impact on our city. And so I'm just thrilled to have him here this morning. And Bishop, if you don't come up, I'll keep talking. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for this time we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
us. It's such a blessing to be here. Let me begin by um, sharing just a, a little about me. Um, I'm 39 years old. <laughs> I've been married for 38 years. <laughs> My wife and I have uh, eight children, five boys and three girls, and all of them are involved in ministry. My oldest son pastors a church in Durham, North Carolina, and uh, is doing, doing very well. Uh, my wife and I have 12 grandchildren. I am known affectionately, affectionately uh, to them as Papa. And uh, I've been in Boston since 1972. Uh, my wife and I came here to pastor a church in the south end of Boston. We had two children at the time and one on the way. Um, I went to Boston University School of Theology, finished there with a master's degree in theology, though I've forgotten most of what they tried to teach me. <laughs> which I know you Baptists folks are saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> I was excited to see our sister walk, walking the aisles. It reminded me of home as we were in worship. Uh, it's just exciting to be here with you. I love uh, Jamie, and I've, I've just recently met your pastor and uh, know him to be a man of God. I know Jamie to be a man of God and a man of prayer. And uh, I thank you for this invitation. It's always good to come and uh, to see what the Lord is doing in other places. Uh, and the Spirit of God is here. And you say amen to that. Amen. Let me begin by just uh, sharing a story. Um, um, the pontiff um, uh, actually flew into New York City from the Vatican to deliver a message uh, to the United Nations at their General Assembly. And um, as things would happen, you know, this stuff happens, uh, his limousine was not uh, there to pick him up, and he came in, of course, with a huge entourage, and, uh, and the plane was delayed, and he was late, and he was scheduled to be at the UN. And so he said to the different ones that were surrounding him, listen, you know, I've got to speak at the United Nations. You guys get there the best way you can. I'm going to catch this cab. So he jumped into the cab and told the driver to take him to the United Nations building. Now the cab driver was a foreigner. And though he knew the city and its coordinates, he could uh, go to a court. Uh, you know, the Pope didn't know exactly where the United Nations building was located, but he knew how to get there. So he said to the cab driver, listen, listen, I'm late. Why don't you just let me drive? <laughs> and he didn't get a, you know, an opportunity to do that often, and who's going to say no to the Pope? <laughs> so he jumped behind the wheel, and the cab driver jumped in the rear. And off they sped, weaving in and out of New York traffic, when one of New York's finest pulled them over. When the policeman saw who was driving, 
he went to his car and called his captain. He said, Captain, you'll never guess who I just pulled over. And the captain played along and said, well, he said, let me give you a hint. It's somebody big. He said, well, you, you didn't pull over the mayor of New York. He said, no, no, I didn't pull over Giuliani, who was mayor at the time. He said, uh, well, you didn't pull over uh, um, the governor of the state. He said, no, I didn't pull over the governor. This guy's bigger than the governor. He said, don't tell me you pulled over the president of the United States. <laughs> and the cab driver said, no, no, didn't pull over the president. Bigger than the president. He said, bigger than the president. So I give up. Who did you pull over? And the policeman said, you know, I don't really know, but his driver is the pope. Now that we've loosened up a little, <laughs> would you open your Bibles? Uh, Jamie asked me what was I preaching on this morning, and I told him prayer. I asked him, "Did you want to? Do you want to know the text?" And uh, he didn't respond, so I didn't tell him. <laughs> but in Ezekiel chapter 22 is one of my favorite passages on intercession. Just a word about this text. and Ezekiel's the prophet in the exile. He began his ministry and ended his ministry while in captivity. And um, the Lord spoke to Ezekiel, who actually is a priest called to be a prophet. I believe that that's a word that all of us need to be need to hear. We need to see ourselves as priests that are called to prophetic ministry. And the Lord said to Ezekiel in chapter 22, again, one of the most powerful passages in the scriptures on intercession. Verse 30. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. This, is, uh, this passage of Scripture is both encouraging and discouraging. It's encouraging to know that God looks. He said to Ezekiel, I looked for a man. I, I believe the man can be male or female. God says, I'm looking. We, we've seen that in the scriptures several, several times, that God is looking. We are, we are told uh, in, in Chronicles, I, I believe it's 2 Chronicles 12, 9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So God is looking. Jesus said he came to seek and to save those 
who are lost. I'm, I'm glad he came. Aren't you? I was lost, but now I'm found. I'm saved, found. My eyes are open today because God came looking for me. Songport said, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. But long before anyone prayed for me, God made a way for me to be saved. Jesus came looking for me. And in this text, the Lord says to Ezekiel, I looked for a man among them who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I might not destroy it, but I found none. So, first to understand this verse, I've begun to to share with you that God is in the business of looking. Of course, the whole search for our salvation began long before Adam and Eve were created. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God has always had a plan for our redemption. The Scriptures teach us that He's not willing, not desirous, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's exciting to know that God loves us with an eternal love. Song poet said it this way, And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, gave Him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. God is looking. Who is he looking for? According to the text, he's looking for a man among them. Now, of course, we know he sent Jesus to die on the cross, but in addition to Jesus dying and being resurrected, proving that He was the Mashiach, the Anointed One from God. God, in addition to that, is looking for someone like you, someone like me. The end of the verse says that He might not destroy the land. Why does God want to, why would God want to destroy the land? Well, it's really not that God wants to destroy the land, but sin destroys anyway. Sin is destructive. We're told that the wage for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin kills. Ezekiel said in another place, the soul that sins, that soul shall die. So there's something about sin that kills, that destroys. It messes us up. We're told by Jesus in John 10 that he described the agenda of Satan. He called him a thief. He said he's come to kill, 
to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus, counteracting his comparing, actually, uh, his ministry with the ministry of Satan, he said, but I've come that you might have abundant life. So God has always been about counteracting the agenda of the enemy. He's come to kill you. Jesus has come to give us life. He's come to destroy you. Jesus has come that you might live eternally. He's come to steal from you. But Jesus has come that he might give to you something that you can't earn. The gift of salvation. And that's what the message of the cross is all about. The gift of God being eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God for Jesus. But the enemy's plan is that you might not receive that eternal life, that you might not experience the encounter that God wants you to have with Christ. And so he has brought in sin. He's brought in all kinds of wickedness that, that stands between us and God, builds a wall between us and God, hinders us from receiving that which God desires for us to have, to walk in. And so the Lord says, in, in my plan, God speaking, He says, in my plan, I know that sin will mess up my people, lead them to death and destruction. I know that they can't live connected to sin. And that sin will destroy them. But I don't want them to be destroyed. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so since God loves all of us, good and bad, since He, is, he wants his, his abundant life to be experienced by all of humankind, the Lord says, I've devised a plan. Not only has my son gone to the cross to die and to be resurrected as the Redeemer, the Savior, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, so that he is the Savior of the world. Thank God that Jesus laid the foundation for our salvation through his shed blood. But then it doesn't end there. God says through Ezekiel, I'm looking for someone in addition to the plan of salvation that I've laid out. I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for someone among them who can make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I might not destroy it. In Ezekiel's day, the Lord said to him, I found none. How sad. And I wonder at times, does God say that about us? Not just about America or this terrestrial ball that we call earth. But think about it more personally. 
Think about the land being where you live and the people being the folk that you know by name and by need. Let's personalize it. Because God wants us to get involved in the salvation of the lost and we don't have to go to Africa or China. There are lost people next door that we know. We speak to them when we're cutting our grass. God says, I'm looking for someone who will get involved out of love and concern. Someone who will pray, who will make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. The land being the people that you know by name and by need. And to go beyond the human ability to love. And to love like Christ loves. Now, that's really where the rubber meets the road. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's where it, we are rubbed the wrong way. Because we, we really don't love like we should. Like God wants us to. We have problems loving people that we're supposed to like. Someone said it this way in the church. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, now that's another story. <laughs> and that God wants us to love. The Apostle Paul said, of love, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead, and that he died that they which live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So that if I'm not going to live for myself, of course you're living for yourself because you're in your own skin. You know, you're buying your own house. You're working on your own job. Uh, you're driving your own car. Of course, in a, you know, you're married to your own spouse and you have your own children. Of course we're living for ourselves. But what the Lord is saying to the apostle is that you're not living for yourself only. Jesus didn't say, seek only the kingdom. He recognized that you would have other agendas and other callings and other needs that are pulling at you. I've got children that believe that money grows in their father's pocket. <laughs> and I know when my daughter comes in and starts calling me daddy when she sits on my lap, when she starts kissing me around my face and neck, she wants something. <laughs> and I also know she gonna get it. <laughs> Jesus.
Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. I know you have other things that pull at your heartstrings, but but seek my kingdom first. Put me at the top of your list. Prioritize what I want you to do and what I want you to be above your own plans, above your plans educationally, above your plans economically, above your plans relationally, above your plans, whether they are present or future. Seek my kingdom first. And prayer must be prioritized when it comes to seeking the kingdom. Ian Bounds said it this way in his great books. He said, no one should talk to a man about God before he first talks to God about the man. And that God says, there are people in your life, they're the land that surround you. Whether you're related to them, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces and nephews, or distant relatives, or whether they're people that you simply know. You work with them on your job. You, he's your dentist. He's your doctor. He's your golfing friend. He's a bowling buddy. Whoever those persons are, male or female, they're a part of the land that surrounds you. They're within your sphere of influence. And the Lord says, I am looking for someone among them. Not someone who doesn't know them. Not someone who will meet them for the first time and then try to put a track in their pocket or witness to them about Jesus. But, but to relate to them, to love them, to really get to know them, and out of that relationship to share Christ. Someone said it this way about sharing Christ, that we should share Christ everywhere. And when possible, use words. That I should live in such a way that my light so shines before men that they may see my good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven and that I really love and really care about them so much so that in my private prayer time I will break down demonic strongholds on that brother or sister's behalf. I will pray for him and his Marriage. I will pray for his children, though I don't know them as well. I will pray for his financial condition. I will lift him before the throne of grace, that he might find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. And I will recognize that in the process, I am doing God's work, that Jesus commanded me to go and make disciples of all nations. And he said, if I would do it, he would be with me even unto the end of the age that there's something supernatural that takes place when I recognize that I'm here for God's purpose and that I've been called to seek first His kingdom and that as Jesus, I must be about my Father's business. And that the greatest business in all of the world is to have a heart of love and compassion for the lost to pray for them in private and then to look for opportunities to minister to them 
in public. That's really what it's all about. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, I'm looking for someone among them, someone who knows them. You won't have to go far. You won't have to don a nice suit and put on a tie and go out witnessing. But you witness as you go in the supermarket, where you live, with the things that you normally do, that God wants to take the common stuff that all of us have in our lives and use it in a supernatural way. And that people are one best out of relationships. I searched for a man among them. Someone who knew them. I wanted to get through to them my love and my message. They couldn't see me. They would run from me if I sent an angel to appear. First things the angels always said, fear not. I couldn't send an angel. And so I sent someone who was less threatening. Someone just like them who had gone through the same kinds of problems, experienced the same kinds of difficulties, but in the process found salvation in Christ. And now are living to tell the story of how they found Christ to those who have not found it. And that they will pray that God will help them to be effective. Then finally, in the next few moments, one of your jobs in prayer is not just to win people, because all of us understand the natural birthing of children. We birth children, and no one births a baby and leaves the baby to fend for itself. We nurse it, we clean it, we burp it, we hold it, we love it, because that baby is connected to us. And so Ezekiel said the Lord's looking not just for someone who will be among them, but someone who will make up the hedge around them, someone who will become a part of their protection that not only after you win them, they have to be protected. They have to be nurtured. They have to be instructed. They have to be loved. Many, many times held and carried until their own spiritual legs grow under them. Someone who will make up the hedge of protection. Someone who will stand in the gap. See, shepherds in the wilderness would pull together a hedge of briars to surround the sheepfold and they'd leave a gap where the sheep could be herded in and out overnight. And so Jesus, gave, giving that understanding, that picture, said, I am the door to the sheepfold. The gap is the door. And what the shepherd would do is after the sheep were safe inside of the sheepfold, the shepherd would lay across the opening 
so that he literally became the door. No one could come in or go out except through him. And so, if you understand that that's what the Lord was saying through Ezekiel, then we make up the hedge by our prayers. And we stand at the door, at the gap. So we become Jesus to them. Well, I'm not really Jesus and neither are you. But Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so my care is His care. My hands become His hands. I'm standing in His place to speak, to love, to touch to minister, to pray. I will protect them. I will nurture them. I will feed them the sincere milk of the Word that they may grow thereby. The end being that when I'm finished with my praying and loving and touching and nurturing, I'll have somebody just like me. And as we see it in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. And I, my wife and I have eight children, and I am so glad when they grow up, finish college. We've had seven that have graduated from college. I'm so glad they've grown up, they finish college, they get married, and they move out of my house. <laughs> and I, I take special, it's, it's a special joy. To go into a son or a daughter's house, open the refrigerator, drink from the bottle, finish it off, put it back in there. Paybacks is great. But I rejoice because they're grown and they're doing the stuff just like me. I remember the day that I found myself, actually heard myself saying to one of my children, at that time they were very small, the things I heard my mother and father say to me. And it was a shocking Deja vu. I thought, oh my God. But then to come to the place where I'm old enough to hear my children say to their children, my grandchildren, the things that they've heard me say to them. Someone said, by the time you're old enough to recognize that your father was right, you probably have a son who doesn't believe you're right. <laughs> This whole multi-generational thing is what God has in mind. That He's looking for you to not only be submitted to those who are above you, but to take on the responsibility of those that are below you. And to minister for Christ. That's what Paul says at the end. We then are ambassadors for Christ as though God is making His appeal through us, we are praying that you will be reconciled to God. We are standing in Christ's 
stead, saying, be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And it's what Jesus meant when he said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And whatever you need will be added. Let's pray. Thanks a lot, Lord, for all that you shared with us. Thank you for this powerful text. You search for a man, you search for a woman among them who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before you for the land that you might not destroy it. You found none in the day of Ezekiel. Lord, may that not be true in this day, in our lives. With these, my brethren, may they take upon themselves your mantle. You said your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Lord, may we take the burden that is on you, on us. Use us to touch those that are around us and especially the next generation. Use us, we pray, to be effective prayer warriors, witnesses, lovers of men, that through us, they may see Christ, in whose name we pray.